today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. This is the thing as a pastor that, that breaks my heart. When I hear people say, oh yeah, I prayed the prayer back when I was in high school or back 10 or 15 years ago. But you don't see anything in their life that shows a continuing relationship with God. All they wanted was a, a fire escape from hell, a, a railroad ticket to heaven. When in reality, what God says, no, that's not, that's not how you have relationship with me. You have relationship with me by taking up your cross daily. To be a true child of God requires more than just uttering a salvation prayer in an emotional moment, driven by fear of hell. It requires repentance. Repentance is a change of heart, turning yourself over to Christ, dying to your own desires, and committing to follow Him. As Pastor David explains in today's message, there are many who believe they have secured their ticket into heaven, all the while living a life that is devoid of God. If you have truly been redeemed, your life cannot stay the same. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Zephaniah chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Day of the Lord. He's always had a remnant because of the long-suffering, because of his patience, because of his love, not desiring that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting or eternal life. Even in the worst of times, even in the darkest of hours, God has always had a remnant. But for the majority, for the majority, God's condemnation is clear, it's unmistakable, and it's unpreventable for those that continue to reject him. The balance of chapter two points out particular nations and and people groups that, that, that God has appointed for his wrath because of their pagan ways, uh, because of their continued disobedience. Uh, verses four through seven talks about Philistia, that's uh, to the west of Judah, uh, the cities of Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, and Ekron, four major cities of the Philistines. God says, I'm gonna wipe you out. Uh, he speaks of Moab and Ammon. These are on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Again, he, he speaks in verses eight through 11. Even as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah was uh, with their punishment, the, the punishment for Moab and Ammon is gonna be just as bad. He even speaks of Ethiopia, and that brings it down to the south. Not only the land of Egypt, but also Sudan and that whole northern Africa area. Again, God's judgment there in verse 12. Then verse 13 through 15, Assyria to the north. Soon to be, Assyria, you gotta understand that when this word was given, 
Assyria had not been destroyed. Assyria was still a power broker in the area. They were still powerful and mighty, and yet God's judgment comes on them. But pretty soon, they're going to be destroyed. Pretty soon, they're going to become known as a ghost town. The Lord speaks to Nineveh, that great city, in verse 15. Look at it there in chapter 2. This is that rejoicing city that dwelt securely, that said in her heart, I am it, and there's none beside me. Oh, how she's become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down. Everyone who passes by her shall hiss and shake his fist. There's no might, there's no power in that anymore. They're going to be destroyed. Now, we look at these four areas as he speaks there, Philistia, Moab, Ammon, Ethiopia, so to the west, to the east, to the south, and then Assyria to the north. Now, all of that might be symbolic, might be just simply representing all four corners of the earth, signifying again that all nations are going to be judged by the Lord on the day of the Lord. They may get away with their wickedness now, but there is coming that day. But for a moment, let's take, if we would, look at this prophecy against the Assyrians and against Nineveh, the great city of the Assyrians. Now, about 50 years prior to Zephaniah's proclamation here, uh, about 50 years prior to that, uh, was the time of the ministry of a guy, you might remember him, uh, smelled a little bit like fish oil, uh, a guy by the name of Jonah. It's about 50 years prior to this was Jonah's ministry. And remember, he goes up to the Syrians and in particular to that great city of Nineveh. And, you know, he gave such a a deep theological message to Nineveh. You know, 40 days in judgment, 40 days in judgment. But they knew what was coming and they repented. I mean, the king repented. The king called for the people to repent. They even, you know, even for the cattle and everything, you know, repent, man. We deserve judgment. They knew how wicked they were. So we see that, and they they went down in sackcloth and ashes from the king on down to the least of the people. And again, the, the king himself called for this national day of repentance and seeking after God. Now, that was 50 years prior to, so about a generation prior to this. And if a generation doesn't do what a generation is called to do, the next generation has no hope. The responsibility that you and I have for the gospel today to that next generation, those young people that left the room a little while ago, those children that are over in the Awanas group, those that are in the nursery right now. Beloved, it is our responsibility to live the truth before them and to speak the truth before them because if you and I don't do it, then we're gonna lose a generation if we haven't lost them already. Assyria lost a generation, a generation that repented, that God pulled back from destroying them. And now we come to the time of Zephaniah during the, king, the, the, the reign of King Josiah in Judah. We're about the time frame now of, of around 630 B.C., there was another prophet, actually a little bit before, 630 B.C. was a little bit before Zephaniah, but there was that other prophet, Nahum, Now, his is, again, a very short prophecy, and and like Noah's prophecy, like Noah's ministry, Nahum was directed only to the people of Nineveh, about 50-so years, about a generation after Jonah. So if you're in Zephaniah, flip back, again, two books to Nahum. 
Real short little book. And again, the, the time frame is close to Zephaniah, but a little bit before Zephaniah. Assyria is still in great power, but you need to understand in the time frame of history, they are about to be, they don't know it, but they're about to be destroyed by the Babylonians. And so now God comes in, and again, now he is bringing his judgment. He's pronouncing his judgment, and this time there's no chance for repentance. You had that a generation ago, but this time the judgment is coming. Look at Nahum chapter 1, starting verse 2. God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it Who can stand before his indignation and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. Then look down in verse 14. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. And I will dig your grave because you are vile. Wow, you're not just wicked. In God's eyes, you're vile. Chapter two of Nahum, skip on down there to all the way down to verse 11. God's asking a facetious question here. He says, so where is the dwelling of the lions? And again, it's all idea of Assyria being you know, the, the lions, mighty and powerful. So where is the dwelling of the lions and, and the feeding place of your young lions? Where the lion walked and the lioness and the lion's cub and no one made them afraid. They were so powerful. These were the lions. They were stronger than, than any other animal. Verse 12, the lion torn to pieces enough for his cubs, killed for his lioness, filled his caves with prey and his dens with flesh. But then verse 13, behold, God is saying, I am coming against you, or I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall be heard no more. Then we get into chapter three. Woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery. Its victims never depart. Speaking again of Nineveh. Verse five, behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will cast abominable filth upon you and make you vile and make you a spectacle. Do you think God is a little upset with Nineveh? I I think there's no doubt here. He goes on. It shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Down in verse 19. Your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. 
all who hear news of you will clap their hands over you. Or upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? In other words, he's saying, what nation around you hasn't been hit by your wickedness? So when you die, when, when all this comes upon you, there's not gonna be anybody moaning what's going on. As a matter of fact, even these other pagan nations are gonna be celebrating because Nineveh is now done. And beloved, bam, that's the end of the story for Nineveh. That's the end of the story of Nahum's prophecy. Just a few short years later in the year of 612. Now remember, this was spoken around 630. So about 18 years later in 612 BC, Nineveh fell to the combined forces of the Babylonians and the Medes joined together. This is before Babylon became great. They joined forces with the Medes and uh, again, they took out Assyria. Shortly after that, the Babylonians rose up to become that great and powerful Babylonian empire. And then sometime after that, the Medes and the Persians wiped out Babylon. You know, none of them stay up for very long. Again, uh, that's just the way that it was. When, when Babylon became that great empire after wiping out the Assyrians, then they themselves came down after Judah. Now let's go back to Zephaniah. Okay, so back to the right again, back to Zephaniah to chapter three. And let's look at, uh, again, as his judgment is, is, is clarified right directly toward Jerusalem. In chapter two, he talked about some of these surrounding countries. Now in chapter three, he's zeroing in on Jerusalem. Verse one, he says, woe to her, speaking of Jerusalem, who is rebellious and polluted to the oppressing city. Woe to the rebellious, woe to the polluted, woe to the oppressing city. Verse two, she has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. We look at this and we see she's not obeyed his voice. In other words, they, they had no obedience. She's not received correction. There, there's been no repentance. She's not trusted in the Lord. There's been no faith exercised. And she's not drawn near to her God. So in other words, there, there's, there's been no real true communion. There's been no real and true worship. They've gone through the motions, but nothing real and true. This all deals with that lack of an ongoing relationship with God. They said that they were his children, and yet their lives showed that they were not. Beloved, this is the thing as a pastor that, that breaks my heart. When I hear people say, oh yeah, I prayed the prayer back when I was in high school or back 10 or 15 years ago. You don't see anything in their life that shows a continuing relationship with God. All they wanted was a a fire escape from hell, a a railroad ticket to heaven. When in reality, what God says, no, that's that's not how you have relationship with me. You have relationship with me by taking up your cross daily. You have relationship with me by seeking my face. And if you seek my face, I will be found. Just because we have the bumper sticker on our car does not make us a Christian. Amen? Just because we're actively involved in a church does not make us a Christian. It is an ongoing 
relationship with Jesus Christ that, again, shows the reality and the truth of our faith. Because their lives showed a difference from what they professed, the reality of their profession proved to be false. Did you catch that? Their lives showed a difference from what they professed. Therefore, the reality of their profession was proved to be false. Thus, they're going to receive the wrath of God. They were not children in truth, but only in name. We look today in Barna and all these other you know, survey groups go out and they say, oh yeah, you know, something like, I don't know, I, I forget what the amount is now, but it's like, last I heard something like 70-something percent of, uh, of, of the people in the United States are, are Christians. I dare say that that's, that's absolutely false. And even when they come to the point of, of breaking it down to born again evangelical Christians, my guess is, is that probably it's still highly exaggerated because I believe that week by week, people come and they sit in rooms like this. They hear teaching and preaching, whether it be powerful or, or mellow uh, worship that's either, uh, again, uh, traditional or contemporary, doesn't matter. What matters is the place of Jesus Christ within the hearts of the individuals that are within that fellowship. Guys, we can look a good game, but the reality is it's the truth of what's in our heart, and that's what we're going to be standing before God. We are going to be bare and stripped of everything else, and our heart is going to be wide open before him. He goes on in verse 3 of chapter 3. Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. These four that he speaks about here, the, the, the princes, the, the judges, the prophets, and the priests, these are the leadership of the nation, both in the secular realm as well as in the religious realm. And yeah, I believe that we need to pay attention to this too as a nation, our secular leaders as well as our religious leaders. They had the responsibility of directing and protecting the people. They were the ones who were ordained to preserve the ideals of the society that they were serving. And these were the ones, the, 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 as leaders of God's people, they had this greater responsibility. They could not claim ignorance. And according to James 3, theirs is going to be a more stricter judgment. Those that are in leadership positions, and I believe both in the secular world as well as in the, the Christian world or the religious world, because of the responsibility. That's why the word said, man, don't be a teacher. Are you kidding? You don't want to be a teacher. It's going to be a stricter judgment on you. Just understand that. If you're going to be a teacher, understand that stricter judgment is going to be there because you're saying that you're leading something. You're directing someone. You're, you're uh, again, discipling someone. So you, we need to understand that. Now, the balance of chapter 3, beginning actually in, in, verse, uh, in, in verse 8, 
we read again of this remnant of the, of the faithful, even in spite of all those that have been unfaithful. It's here that we get, a, uh, I believe, the picture of that final restoration of Israel during the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. Because we look at these, and none of these promises have been fulfilled yet. Even when, when they came back from Babylonian captivity, have not been re, uh, fulfilled. Even when Israel became a nation in 1948, they have not been fulfilled yet. These promises will be fulfilled. Otherwise, God's a liar, or he's using hyperboles, and I don't believe that either one of those is true. I believe that God is speaking the truth here, but it is for that greater time yet to be. Look what he says in verse nine. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language. Some say that that'll be Hebrew. Others say it'll be Texan. Um, not real sure where that comes from, but uh, it does say that it'll be a pure language, that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. Verse 14, sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. When does the king of Israel come? Man, chapter 19 of, 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 of Revelation, when Jesus comes riding on that white horse, man, judgment and truth, he's gonna judge the nations with a wine press of his wrath. He's gonna, again, come against them. And again, I think all of these pictures fall into play here. And then there's gonna be that thousand year of his reign. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. We haven't seen that for Israel because they still see that. Verse 17, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. As I read that picture came to me of a young child that's been hurt. You know, you, you think of a young child uh, either out trying to ride a bicycle for the first time, crashes and stubs up its knees or hits its lip. And, you know, there, there's great hurt, there's great pain going on. And then you think of a mother that just comes and just cradles that little one and just holds them and just strokes them and just cares for them. And perhaps even uh, speaking so quietly to them, perhaps even singing to them just to again bring a soothing time to him. That's the picture I see. Oh, I know he's Father God. I have no problem with that. But I also know, man, he's like a mother hen. He desires to gather us under his wings. And even as Jesus speaks about Jerusalem, but they would not. God's desire for us is that we would be in his presence. Humble, submitted, obedient, and just with a heart of worship before him. I wish I could tell you tonight that that's my life 100%, but it's not. My old flesh gets in the way. Uh, the world's distractions come in the way. It's something that, yeah, we have to fight toward. We have to continue to focus on. But the one thing I know is the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. And guys, after all, isn't that our only hope? Our only hope. Open.
As our time with you today winds down, we'd like to share where you can listen to today's message again. You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David and The Open Word at theopenword.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss an edition of the program. Right now, let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick message from the heart. Hello, friend. I'm so glad you joined in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. He's the reason I teach every week at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I want as many people as possible to know and believe the message of the gospel. If you'd like to know more about what Jesus' life and death means to you, I'd encourage you to call us. We have some great people here who would love to pray with you and answer your questions. Our number is 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. Know that I'm praying for you too, and I value you greatly as a listener and brother or sister in Christ. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to invite you to come see us in person as well at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. We have services every Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday, and you'll be able to find more information at theopenword.com. Just click the church link at the bottom of the page. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Join us next time to continue our journey through the Bible, right here on The Open Word. Make us more.